honestly didn't really care for him at first. He was really? Yeah, he was so cocky. <laughs> he was so cocky. And all the girls were like, oh, he's so cute. And I'm like, he's a jerk. <laughs> this is the Real Food, Real People podcast. Everybody knows that Washington is really famous for its apples, but it should also be famous for its cheese and for its butter and cream and you name it, because dairy is the second biggest crop, I guess, if you want to call it that, that that Washington farmers produce. And so when you eat that delicious cheese, my goodness, for instance, cheese, there's so many awesome artisan local um, cheese producers, cheese makers here in Washington in the last several years. It's really turning into a cool thing, but lots of other dairy products too. When you eat any of those things, you want to know, okay, who is the person behind this? Who was making this essentially? And how did they care for those animals? And what was their farm like? We get to know a little bit this week about Krista Stoffer and she and her husband, Derry, uh, a small family dairy farm uh, in the northeast corner of Washington State. We get to hear her whole story and how she came from no farming background and got involved in farming and now loves it and is actually very well known for her blog. And she talks about that blog and how she wishes she would have given the blog a different name, but how much success she's had. It's a really cool conversation this week with Krista Stoffer. So thank you for being here and joining me. I'm Dylan Honkoop, uh, and these are, and this whole podcast is really documenting my continuing journey around Washington State to get to know the actual farmers, the, the people producing the food that we eat here. So enjoy this conversation with Krista Stoffer and this chance to get to know a bit better the people producing the dairy products that we eat here in Washington. So you guys, you and your husband have a farm. It's kind of old school. As far as, as I could, it's the small family farm. You guys do most everything yourselves. Explain what, what the farm is like. We here. are very much old school. Um, so currently we milk 200 cows, just my husband, myself, and we have five kids. And we do have two part-time employees that help us because we do like to try to get off the farm every once in a while. Um, our three oldest kids are very active in the farm. Our oldest two are our calf care specialist as we would like to call them so they're out there every day one of them goes out in the morning one of them goes out at night they're feeding calves bedding calves taking care of newborn calves taking care of sick calves anything that needs to be done those two are doing it and then our middle child who is eight he is out there milking cows pushing cows raking stalls getting all the manure out of the stalls bossing people around (laughs) doing all that stuff so Yes, we are very old school in the fact that we are the main caretakers of the animals, and so are our children. And as far as old school goes, so is our buildings, our equipment, you name it, it's all old school. (laughs) It reminds me of my childhood. That's, I mean, my grandpa's farm, both my grandpa's farms are a bit smaller yet than that. But that was what I did. I mean, I grew up on a red raspberry farm, but my grandparents had a dairy farm right down the road. My other grandparents like a mile away. Yeah. So yeah, feeding calves. That's what I did when I was that your kid's age all the time. Yeah. Mixing up milk replacer and bottle feeding the new ones and all yeah. that fiddling around, dumping hay out of the hay mow and Yeah, they they do a great job. I would actually trust my kids more than I would trust most adults that showed up on our farm. They are very they pay attention, they're doing it the right way, the way they were, you know trained to do it and they're invested in it because they know that if that animal gets sick and it's their fault ultimately that animal's life could be in their hands type of a situation and they also know that they also want to take over someday or be involved in to some extent and they have to do a good job in order for us to get there so they're very invested and they know what their job is and how important it is so you you mentioned earlier you like to be able to get off the farm sometimes 
Yes. Realistically, how often does that actually happen? Uh, well, this year it's not going to happen at all. Really? <laughs> no, I don't think we're going to be able to leave it all with everything going on and just having to buckle down and um, cut costs and be really responsible about our funds even more so than we have in the past. But um, mostly when we get off the farm, it has to do with our three older children. They're very active. We have Irish dance, wrestling, basketball, you name it, they are involved, 4-H. Um, so that's mostly where we have our little get get off the farm moments is yeah. to go and support them. And, you know, they do a lot on the farm. They do a lot for our family. So we try to make sure that they get to do their things as well. So you just like not even go into town at all or like how often? Oh, I go to, to pick- town. Like I'll even just have moments where I'm like, okay, Brandon, watch the kids. I'm going somewhere. <laughs> or we'll just be like, we'll just look at each other and we're like, we need Arby's and Arby's is like yes. an hour drive and we'll just go drive to Spokane and go get Arby's <laughs> just to get out of here. So, um, but we do try to like occasionally go back to Whatcom County to see his family. And mm. we actually haven't done that for a couple of years. And um, I think we'll probably be doing that here. And then when everything opens back up to go attend his grandma's funeral, she mm. passed away recently with everything going on. We haven't been able to do anything like that. So um, we try to get off the farm. But mostly that just entails going and supporting our kids and their activities. Well, this sadly not the only effect of this coronavirus pandemic for you guys. Yes. Right? Yes. Explain what, what this has done to your world. Yeah, it kind of turned our world upside down when this first came about. Um, we were... Last year, we'll just go back to last year. We took on some pretty big projects, made some pretty big moves. We bought another farm to, you know, have more control over our own feed supply. We put in a big, large manure storage tank to be more efficient, have more storage, become more environmentally friendly, try to do as much as we can there, and just some other upgrades that were really necessary after buying the farm. And we just, we had a lot going on and we were feeling very good about where we were and the things that we were doing. And we knew that this year was going to be a really good year for milk prices. It was looking great. And we were, we were looking to, you know, make some money and make some more upgrades, changes, things like that. And when this all hit, not shortly after it hit, the prices just, the futures of the milk prices just crashed. And we just were like, oh my gosh, I, for one, had just had maybe like a little mini meltdown and was like, we're all going to die. And my husband's like, oh, no, no, the internal optimist is we're going to get through this. We'll figure it out. And then even then, as it kind of progressed and the prices, you know, weren't looking like it was going to come back and it was looking like these stay-at-home orders and restaurants being closed were going to be a lot longer than we were expecting. He then also started being like, ugh, maybe we're all going to (laughs) die, you know? And so... Um, it's been rough, but we've, we've gotten creative. We've done some things to help push us through and, um, I think we're going to be fine. I think we're going to do just fine. I think we're going to come out on the other side of this and look back and be like, Whoa, that was hard, but Mm. we did it. So that's good to hear because last time I talked with you, I remember you were feeling like, I don't know if we're going to be able to, to keep going. Yeah. And I didn't, I didn't feel like that. And we're seeing right now with, you know, phased, you know, the different states opening, different phases, things like that. We're seeing future prices start to go up. Mm. So we're a little bit more optimistic that milk prices, even if they just went up a dollar or two, would be very helpful for us. We've worked really hard on what it costs to produce the milk, and yeah. um, we've changed a whole lot of things with, you know, our feed rations. We've sold some extra heifers as backyard cows. We've been selling cow manure. We have been so creative on all the different things that we can do to to make this work. And we were very fortunate to get like the PPP, the protection um, program for the Mm -hmm. payroll Mm -hmm. and different things like that. Just putting all these different things in place. We're not quitters. We're not going to roll over and just take it. We're going to fight to the very end. With as tough as things have been in dairy for the past several years i mean survival of the fittest you couldn't have made it to this point if you weren't exactly, already wired that way exactly well and we when we started we had low milk prices lower than they are right now that's when we started but we also didn't have you know debt or anything like we didn't have a new farm payment or a second farm payment or we didn't just complete a large project so going into lower milk prices are going to depend 
if you're going to come out on the other side based on how you're set up going into those low prices. So, yeah. yeah. You say if prices could go up a dollar or two, but you're not talking about a dollar or two on that jug of milk that people buy at the store. No, no, no. Um, we get paid per hundred pounds of milk. It's called a hundred weight of milk. And mm. we get paid, um, if we could get just a dollar or two more per hundred pounds of milk, it would definitely help us with our feed costs, you know, our normal cost of business. Um, just to get us to the other side of this, we just need just a little bit more, just a little bit more to be able to pay for that feed, to keep yeah. that truck coming, to keep the fuel in the tractors, to get through our first cutting of, you know, feed for the cows, things like that. So just a little bit more on that end of it, definitely not on the per gallon price that you see in the store. Yeah. Yeah. Which there, is there much of a connection even between those prices? No, it's very complex from how farmers are paid and what you see in the store. Because for example, you go into Walmart and you buy that great value jug of milk. Well, that milk is being bought by Walmart through a cooperative, for example, Dairy Gold. They buy that, they buy it in bulk. So they get it at a set rate of whatever for that, that milk. And once they purchase that milk, they can do whatever they want with that price in the state of Washington. They can mark it up to what they want. They can drop it down. They they do a thing called what's a loss leader. So what they'll do is some places, some states, they will allow them to drop it down like you'll see like 99 cents. And what that store is doing is they're trying to get people to come in and buy that staple product. And in right. the process, they're going to make that money up somewhere else. Um, you don't really see that here in Washington. And I can't I honestly can't recall if that's even legal in the state of Washington because I know some states do not, allow, do not allow that. But yeah, once they buy that milk, they can they can do what they want to do, and then then all that profit goes into their pockets, not necessarily into the farmers because they've already purchased it at a you know a bulk rate discounted yeah. amount. So well, I and I don't know exactly where prices are at right now as far as what farmers get, but I know in the last few years with prices being really low at times. There are times when farmers are getting like, what, a few pennies yeah. <laughs> out of a jug of milk, a couple of dimes maybe? Yeah, it's, I, I played around with the numbers last year and I don't honestly recall what it was, but it was like, it was definitely way less than a dollar. I think it was like in the 45, 50 cents, something like that is what we get out of that. And that's going to, you know, of course, depend on what the price the farmer's getting at the time and what the store's selling it for, but... Yeah, it's not very much at all. You know, there's a whole lot of people from the time the farm or the milk leaves the farm to when it gets on that grocery shelf that have their hand out in the middle of that trying to, you know, have to make money. Truckers, processors, marketing, all of that. Even the grocery store workers, they're all, everybody's all getting paid somewhere along the lines. What is it like knowing that you're making food, growing food, raising, whatever you want to call it, farming milk? essentially, for other people to eat, drink, whatever. I think, honestly, I think it just depends on the day. Some days I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is so awesome. We're playing this such a small part in this big, huge picture of feeding people. And then other days I'm like, when I'm grumpy, I'm just like, yeah, no, this isn't like – this isn't worth it. <laughs> and then nobody cares. Nobody likes us. You know, poor me. But it is really cool to know that what we do not only gets to benefit our family and our children, and we get to do what we love to do and raise our family doing this, um, that it benefits other people, and especially other people in our communities that um, buy our products or benefit from us doing business within the community. Talk about your cows. They're where your milk comes from. <laughs> What what kind you guys have Jersey? We cows? have everything. No. Really? <laughs> yeah. So we started out with Holsteins and then Jersey Holstein crosses. Holsteins the, being the black and white ones. Black and that white. Are so yeah, iconic. and then we had some jerseys along the way, but um like the Jersey Holstein crosses are gonna be like more black and kind of more colorful and um unique that way. But we along the way I was begging my husband for some brown Swiss. And he's like, absolutely no, not having brown Swiss in our herd. And we went to buy cows, gosh, maybe five years ago. And we went to this farm where they breed um, brown Swiss and Jersey crosses. And I talked him into bringing a few of those home. And since then, we have been 
crossbreeding. We have been crossbreeding our Holsteins to Brown Swiss. Um, we have been crossbreeding our jerseys to Brown Swiss. And then our obviously our Jersey Holstein crosses to Brown Swiss. So we have been mixing it up a bit. And the calves and the heifers are just absolutely beautiful. And I cannot wait to see them as milk cows in our herd. Why Brown Swiss? Why are they so great? Well, in the beginning, I was mostly concerned about cute cows, not necessarily what they did as far as production or if they even could get bread, things that, you know, are kind of important to business of a dairy farm. But yeah. um, I just always loved the look at them. And we actually had a fellow farmer, he's since has gone out of business right up the road from us that had a beautiful, like, Holstein and Brown Swiss cross that they would always bring to the fair. And I just love that thing. And I just knew that I had to have something like that in my herd. And my husband's like, Brown Swiss are dumb. We're not having those. And I'm like, no, they're so cute. We need them. And um, we started breeding Jersey into our herd um, quite a quite a few years ago. Mm-hmm. And our herd size just started going small. We just, our, the size of animal that we were mm-hmm. getting, it was just too small for what we needed. And um, calves and the harsh winters that we have up here just just wasn't a great mix. And um, when milk prices get low, you're, my husband always says, you're a beef farmer. So you mm. you cull all cows and those cows get sold and that goes into hamburger, which you're going to find in the stores, like lean beef type of a thing. But um, you send a jersey to the sale barn and you're not getting anything for it. So we just knew we needed to go back up in size and we needed to have an animal that was going to give us a decent amount of milk, but still have great components and then give us a good beef check at the end. So Components meaning what? butter fat protein higher butter fat higher protein makes um you get paid better for those com- those particular so what's in the milk is what yes, it's all what's about. in the milk yep that's what we were looking for because i know holsteins are famous for producing a lot of milk yep jerseys are famous for producing really rich milk with lots of butter fat exactly what about brown swiss they actually are in higher in components as well and mm. then also higher in milk production. So um, I can't say that I am an expert on brown Swiss as far as all that goes. Yeah. Like I said, I just knew that I wanted them because they were cute. But <laughs> <laughs> but going into it and now that we've, I've really been interested in like breeding and picking out bulls and looking at all their, all their different details of what makes them so great and – I just know that having that cross between that Jersey and Brown Swiss, you're going to have a higher component than you would just a going Brown Swiss or a Brown Swiss Holstein, and you're going to have higher milk production. But ultimately, you're just going to have a hardier animal, and that's what we really need is we just want a hardier animal. Milk production is great, but we actually love longevity. We'd rather have a cow for six, seven, eight, nine, ten years than have a cow for a couple years, and um, that's just kind of our strategy. What are brown Swiss like personality wise? I know that like they're jerseys kinda, are kinda... famous for being like zany, <laughs> yeah. crazy, silly cows. Jerseys, yeah. Jerseys are insane. They can get into everything. They do get into everything. They lick everything. Super friendly. Uh, they're super friendly. Um, Holsteins can be too, depending on how you handle them. Yeah. Uh, but they're kind of like, they're kind of dumb. They're just mm-hmm. like, do 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 like, hi, just they're just not all there. It doesn't seem like, <laughs> but Brown Swiss, um, they're kind of along the lines of a Jersey, not maybe as much. They're kind of a cross between the two of those. And, but when you cross them with the Jersey, that's basically like you have a Jersey. Mm. <laughs> it doesn't matter how much Brown Swiss is in there. How much do you work with the cows yourself? Oh, that's going to depend on the season of life here on yeah. the farm. We have five kids. So, Right now, especially with our older three being older and wanting to be so active and um, to basically taking over my primary responsibility on the farm, um, I'm not out there as much as I used to be. I've gone through times where I was out there working side by side with my husband, dragging kids along the same amount of hours as him, and I've gone to where I haven't been down there at all or I've had a job off the farm. It's just the last 11 years, we've just had so many different scenarios and it also depends on the type of help we have, if we have good help, um, if we don't have any help. Um, but right now, no, I just, I have a two-year-old and I have a six-month-old and that's going to keep you busy. It keeps me busy. Yes. So while I am with the nicer weather, definitely getting down there more, especially as she gets, you know, a little bit older, the youngest, um, I'm going to get more involved. We're looking at maybe throwing me in the chopper this year, depending on how that goes, uh, different truck situations. Um, I fully intend on this summer being back there as 
back involved as much as possible. Because, With an under one year yes, old child? Yes. Hey, we've done it before. That's intense. Yes. Yes. I just want to be out there and be more involved and um, sitting in the house is not for me. So, Well, since I have little kids in my home too, <laughs> I, I know how much that I... That's stunning to me that you're going to be able to be out helping with like harvest. You're saying being in the the forage harvester and yeah. chopping grass and stuff. That's that's the goal. Those are long hours. We'll we'll see how that goes. We actually the thing about where we farm is we're not a huge agriculture area. So like maybe where most people see like thousands upon thousands of acres or things like that that they're they're harvesting or whatever. We have like 20 acres here, 40 acres here. So we can go out and go and do what we need to do in just, you know, a few hours or maybe the day or break it up here and there. It depends on what elevation because our farm between our farm where we dairy and our farm where we have um, our hay farm is, you know, quite a drop in elevation. So there's a lot of different factors to play that we're not going to be out there like 14-hour days chopping. So do you guys grow all the feed for your animals or no we do not we do not have enough land to do that mm. we're working on getting there as you know like i mentioned before we we purchased a hay farm last year and we would like to purchase a couple more areas here and there depending on how that works out in the future but we have some lease land um some different places we rent from other other people and um no we're not where we would need to be but we'll get there so you grow what grass and corn nope. for the cows? Nope, just We're grass. Mostly alfalfa. Alfalfa. We do alfalfa silage, which is fermented alfalfa, um, and then we do some grass alfalfa. Some Brandon's got a combination of different things he's got going on this year that I can't even keep up with. <laughs> he's basically the strategy this year is to put as much seed down as possible and get as much forages, and he doesn't care what it is. <laughs> That's the goal this year. As long as the cows eat it. Yep, they'll eat it. So, But we don't do any corn silage or anything like that. How did you get into this whole farming thing? Because you didn't grow up on a farm like this, right? No, I did not. Um, I grew up here, and I actually remember driving by this very farm as a kid on the bus or with my parents, and it we just we used to call it the stinky old dairy because <laughs> there's a manure pond right next to the road, and Honestly, I, other than the stinky old dairy, never gave it much thought. Um, my Brandon, my husband Brandon, grew up in Whatcom County, and he wanted to start a dairy, and he knew that he would not be able to compete with berries or anything like that, and purchase land over there or even yeah. rent anything over there. Just starting out in 2009 with such low prices, it just wasn't going to happen. So he has a relative over in our area that said, "Hey, there's this old dairy that." you might be able to rent and um, everything kind of fell into place. So he moved over here in May 2009 and we met a couple months later at the local feed store hmm. and kind of just been together ever since. And what were you doing at the feed store? I was working there. Oh, really? Yeah. I had, um, I actually just had recently become a single mom and needed a job and they had an opening and I, I didn't know anything about anything that have to do with farming or agriculture and, had to learn so much stuff and kind of fumble my way through the interview, honestly, <laughs> pretending like I knew what I was talking about because I just needed a job so bad. Yeah. But um, met Brandon at the feed store. Honestly, didn't really care for him at first. He was, really? Yeah, he was so cocky. <laughs> he was so cocky. And all the girls were like, oh, he's so cute. And I'm like, he's a jerk. <laughs> And so, but we, yeah, we started. I girls like the bad boy, the cocky guy. Not me. I had my fill. I was like, no, thank you. No more. I just am going to take care of my daughter. I don't need none of this in my life. And um, just got to know him and actually tried to set one of my friends up with him. And obviously that didn't work out. And just got to know him over the summer. And I just like was just amazed at like how hardworking he was and motivated and how he let, he's like, he invited me out to bring my daughter to see the calves. He's like, she would just love these baby calves. You should bring her out to see him. And, um, I guess I just like instantly, like, I don't want to say instantly fell with him, fell in love with him because like we had to work, we had to work really hard on our, on our marriage and yeah. our relationship. And, yeah. um, especially through like hard years of farming and, 
But just seeing how amazing he was with her and showing her around the farm and just seeing how hardworking he was and motivated. And he was just all that kind of cockiness. I'm like, well, no wonder how you're, you're so cocky because you're kind of cool. But <laughs> so that's how I got into it. I met I met him at the feed store and it kind of just went from there. Do you think maybe it's sometimes it's better that way or is it just like the sweep you off your feet kind of thing? Yeah. You have I, to work at it? Absolutely. I ha- Like I said, I had just recently become a single mom and yeah. I did the whole sweep you off your feet thing and um, it's not always doesn't always work out and sometimes it leaves you in a rough spot and I think meeting somebody and starting a relationship that you know that you don't instantly like this is the man of my dreams or anything like that like having to work at it and having to like really try to get to know each other and work through some hard stuff together um, because we had both come out of situations where we had to kind of work together and I think it makes you appreciate each other more And it makes you be able to go through like things like we're going through right now with everything with these low milk prices and these hard times. It makes you kind of like glide through it together. Like, I don't know how to really explain it. It just makes it, makes you appreciate it more. You don't have those expectations that everything's just going to be fun all the time. And sometimes when you've been hurt before, that also helps you make, makes makes you appreciate people and Mm makes you maybe want to fight a little bit harder, you know, things like that. So that was a lot more personal, I think, I think <laughs> that we were going to get into. <laughs> no, that's, that's all good. So before you met him, you never saw yourself being a farm. Like, did you, where, where did you see your life going growing up? Like, did you have another plan or? Growing up, I always wanted to be a teacher. And then as things kind of progressed and life kind of had its changes, um, I just wanted to be in some sort of career that was possibly in the city. Like I had interest in being like a legal assistant. Um, I had worked in the insurance industry. I'd work at, um, in a a bank, um, kind of moving my way up through there a little bit. And I just really liked being in that kind of setting. I liked being in town. I liked being, um, I don't know. I just liked being in an office setting, I guess. So when I met him, um, being on a farm didn't never (laughs) even cross my mind growing up other or anything. I don't even know. It was just, but now, yes, I love it. I love it. And it's so surprising. It's even my friends and family, like, especially like my relatives, like my aunts and they're like, to this day, it's like, come on guys, I've been here for almost 11 years and I'm totally rocking it. You think that they would be like, but no, they're like, oh, it's just still so surprising that you ended up on a farm. We just never thought we'd see you on a farm. But um, yeah, so no, nobody expected me to be here. I didn't expect me to be here, but I'm so glad. And I even more so that I get to raise my kids on a farm. Kind of jealous of them. So is that is that kind of the number one thing? Like if you had to pick your favorite thing of of doing the farm life is being together with with your family all the time absolutely yep absolutely I love being with my husband I love having our kids around every day even all day and it's not all it's not always easy and there's days where we all want to like strangle each other or whatever but um it's amazing and it's I just love having them home we homeschool we we decided to homeschool this year and it just has brought our family so much closer together and we have some of the most awesome bonds between our kids and we do extracurricular activities. They're doing things off the farm. So it's not like they're just here doing, you know, just our thing, but no, I think that is absolutely the number one is just having my kids and my husband together all the time, working together for the same, you know, goal. It's, it's amazing. Some people have never experienced that until just now with this whole COVID It's so thing. different. It's so different. I keep telling all my friends, like we decided to homeschool this year and there's so many parents that have their kids home right now and they're just struggling. And I just, oh, I just want to tell them that it's, it's not the same as homeschool. It's not the same as making the decision for yourself and planning for it and having everything set up for you. Um, everybody else is in kind of crisis mode and we're just like still juggling along because 
we had already made that decision. We made it for ourselves. We were, we're still doing the same curriculum and same thing every day that we normally have. It's just not, it's totally different. So you guys really haven't had to change much of anything. No, the only thing that's really changed is just the kids having all their stuff canceled. Yeah. And that I will, I will be honest at the beginning, it was kind of like, Oh, thank God. I don't have to drive somewhere tonight, <laughs> every night going in one way or another. And the soccer mom thing. Totally, totally, totally. Yeah. And we live in an area where we have like three different towns and they have activities in like three different towns. <laughs> so there's some nights I'm going to multiple towns. So it's been really nice to have that break and kind of reconnect and um, get our, you know, schedules like eating dinner together again and things like that. And I'm just looking forward to continuing, trying to figure out how to continue that when everything starts back up. So, but yeah, no, it's not, it's not the same as what everybody else's experience. I just no. know that for a fact. Well, well, in some ways it is the same. They've just never experienced it before. True, this is, true. This is the normal for you guys. Yeah, Togetherness. True, true. Well, and really that's what I've said, you know, about my family a bit too, is we, I grew up that way mm -hmm. on a farm and we're kind of doing that even though I, I'm not really farming anything. I do live on my grandparents' old farm and we're kind of just doing the. Granted, we have little kids. Yeah. But yeah, it's just like, hey, yeah, everyone's self-isolating and they don't know what to do with themselves. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've been bummed that, well, we can't ever go out to eat or, you know, shop at some stores where we might want certain things. But other than that, it's kind of been business as usual. Yeah. That's pretty much what we've been as well. So that that's kind of cool, even though some people maybe you're deciding they don't like the whole togetherness thing right now. Yeah, I can imagine, especially like just having the stress of like either having to try to work from home and having your yeah. kids be at home or some schools um, are trying their best, but they maybe not don't have it quite figured out yet. And so there's a lot of families that are really struggling through some stuff and um I really feel for them, honestly. What's your, what's your advice to them since you have a lot more experience that, hey, the whole family's here almost all the time kind of thing? How do you survive some of those times when things get crazy? You know, because they do, right? Kick <laughs> them out in the backyard and lock the door. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I do. Do not come back in this house until I come and get you. No. <laughs> <laughs> I you think I'm joking? I'm no. not. <laughs> Kick them outside. They don't. I mean, sometimes I think we overthink all the stuff that they're supposed to do, especially education wise. Read a book with them. Teach them some life lessons. Like there's so many kids that don't know how to cook, don't know how to do their own laundry, they don't know how to take care of themselves. Take this as an opportunity to teach them how to eventually go out in the world and take care of themselves. And um, reading, reading is so important. Just read a book with them. There's so much there's so much benefit to that. Something I've learned a lot over the last year is how important reading with your kids is. Yeah. So a while back you started blogging. How long ago was that? When did you start the I did my first blog post, I think it was like November of two thousand thirteen. Hmm. And you called it the farmer's wifey. Yeah, I did. Explain how how did that happen and, and how has that gone? Well, it was kind of like you had all these industry people saying, you need to tell your story, get out there and tell your story. You need to have like a, a blog name or whatever, and it, it should tie into who you are. And And I thought, well, becoming a farmer's wife is how I got to where I am now. And mm -hmm. it's kind of like what made me who I am as far as like being involved on the farm and meeting him and things like that. And so I thought, I've always thought wifey was cute. And so I just did the farmer's wifey and Honestly, like hindsight's twenty twenty. Like I probably would have come up with something different, <laughs> um, having known I didn't know anybody would listen to me or even care what I yeah. had to say. I had no idea where it would go. Or, I mean, it's taken me all over the country. It's taken me to all these amazing places, and I've met so many amazing people. And I think if I could go back, I would have probably picked <laughs> something different. <laughs> but it is what it is, and people—that's what people know me by. And so I'm just gonna stick with it and hold my ground. And for all the people that hate the whole term farmer's wife, I'm just gonna just go with it. <laughs> What's it like to be famous? I am not famous, not famous at all. <laughs> well, your blog is incredibly widely followed as well as your social media. 
And like you said, you've traveled across the country with this. What was that like as that developed? Um, when everything started to take off, it was crazy and like a whirlwind. And I, there was a whole year where I was gone two to three times a month traveling to different mm -hmm. things, be it speaking engagements, blogger events, um, um, di just various different things. And it took off so fast, I was like, I kind of felt like I just needed to accept everything that came my way because I was like, this is going to this is gonna be done at any moment. Like this, the newness is gonna wear off and everybody's gonna be like, yeah, that girl's annoying or she's boring or whatever. And so I kind of just accepted everything that came along with it. And then I had to like take a step back because it wasn't stopping. It just kept going. And about a year and a half into it, I was so burnt out. I was so tired. Like I'd gone to all these amazing places and had these great experiences. And even my husband got to go with me and do some some of the stuff as well. But um, I just wanted to be home. I just wanted to be home with my kids and be back on the farm. And so I just had to take the step back and I had to learn to start saying no. And um, unfortunately, I felt like maybe it was too late. that I was too burnt out mm. by then because I ended up having to take a much needed like almost two year break mm. just to be to kind of get myself back in order and figure out how I wanted to tell my story and if I wanted to even continue and I don't I'm not a hundred percent back in the game but I feel like lately I've been stepping it up mm -hmm. and trying to get back in into everything but I don't know I don't know where it's gonna go or how far it's gonna go or so like telling your story and and it's called the farmer's wifey still yeah like what's the web address if people want the to farmer's wifey so wifey is w-i-f-e-e.com mm -hmm. and i don't i haven't been blogging as much as i thought i would be it's mostly just through instagram and facebook mm. i would like to start doing videos because you know the social media platforms are really pushing for videos and yeah. so i got to try to get comfortable back in front of the camera <laughs> it's not something i really want to do so just trying to figure out a lot changes in two years when you take that time off a lot with social media, it's constantly changing, constantly evolving. And so just try to figure out where I fit in to all of this and what's the best way to start. When, to you, when, when you started, what kind of stuff would you talk about? I talked about everything. I talked about all the hard stuff, all the fun stuff. I had so many people <laughs> upset with me all the time because I would talk about, I would talk about euthanasia, putting an animal down. I would mm. talk about a down cow, a cow that goes down and is unable to stand on their, you know, their own. I would, I wanted to talk about it all because I was so tired of, it felt like everything was always sugar-coated, that everything mm. we did was just like these cows next to these red barns in the middle of a big grassy field. And I wanted everybody to know the truth of how we farmed and how everybody does it differently and that it's okay that we do it differently and that it's not all rainbows and butterflies, that there's a lot of hard days on the farm. So I've, I felt like maybe that was part of why it kind of took off is because I was just honest about it and I didn't sugarcoat it. And I said, you know, some days suck and <laughs> some days are awesome. And uh, we lost this cow and we lost this set of twin, you know, different, different scenarios that happen on the farm. And I just was just every day sharing a little bit of our life, just a little glimpse into it, but I wasn't sugarcoating it. So maybe that's why it took off. Maybe because people wanted to know the truth. But then not everyone was so nice with that either. No. If I no. recall talking with you about this in the past, like things got kind of ugly. Yeah, and I was really surprised. So when I first started, I was still really new to farming and I was still learning a lot and I just was so excited about everything I learned and everything that we were doing that I just wanted to share all that with everybody else. I just thought it was so cool. All the farmers that I met, I just thought the world of them and how hard they worked and everything that they did day in and day out. And I just thought, oh, we're just this big, huge family and I'm going to share our story and I'm going to stand up for farmers. And I was incredibly shocked, especially at first when it started to happen, but I got a lot of pushback from farmers. Like, don't talk about that. Don't say this. Don't do that. You shouldn't do it this way. You should do it that way. And I was just really caught off guard by, and then the stuff, you know, the whispers in the background that ultimately get back to you about what people are saying about you and the things, things like that. So yeah, no, that people weren't, 
were not nice. And I felt like myself and other farmers that were being like that online and being open and honest were getting a lot of blowback because we're supposed to be, you know, painting our industry as this perfect industry where nothing bad happens and everything's great and the sun's always shining. And, and it was, yeah, that got a lot of pushback, got a lot of pushback. You've also though been attacked really kind of from the other side of things too, with people who aren't from the farming world, right? Oh, yes. Activists. They're fabulous. Um, yeah, I've had my share of run-ins with, um, vegan activists on social mm. media and even a few along the way of like environmental activists, mm-hmm. but it's mostly, you know, animal rights activists that show their, show their faces and their tactics are basically what they do is they take a post that goes kind of viral or something like that. And they share it in their groups with, you know, thousands or hundreds of thousands of mm. vegans. Um, and, basically say, hey, go attack this farmer. That's how they operate. Really? And yeah. Like so, what, what do they say to you then? Like they start sending you messages or what? Yeah. So for example, just recently about, I'd say that I know of like five or six other farmers and myself were attacked. And what they were doing is they were sharing our posts in their group and then having everybody come and attack our pages. And they'll say, you know, they're, they're copy paste rhetoric, you know, from PETA, you know, you you kill babies and you um, torture animals. And I'm not sure exactly what I'm allowed to say or not on this podcast. And I'm sure yeah. you don't want to know half the stuff that they say. So like vulgar material? Very vulgar. Um, farmers, myself, not recently, but in the past have had my family attacked or horrific things said about my children. Or um, recently another dairy wow. farmer had his um, family attacked and they said, that they hoped the whole entire family died of COVID-19. Mm. So they are very vicious. They are very mean. Um, ironically, a lot of them are not even from the U.S. They mm. come from like the U.K. or Australia. So yeah, they're they're pretty, they're what, pretty what, vulgar. What do you think they're trying to do by doing that? Their ultimate goal is to end animal agriculture. Um, the way they go about it, I don't see how they are going to ever further their cause because they all these people see how they're talking to other humans and Mm -hmm. the things that they're saying and the things that they wish upon them and people are just completely turned off by how they're doing it and but yeah that's their ultimate goal is they want our farms to go under and they don't want us to be able to have farm animals so they i think maybe typing facebook comments is gonna do it i don't know i don't know i don't know their reasoning behind what they do what kinds of things are they picking on that you do that you talk about in on, in your social media and on your blog? Yeah, so the number one thing I would say is obviously taking calves away from the moms. Um, they believe that we should not be taking the calves, separating calves from cows. Mm. So on dairies, we separate cows and calves so we can milk the cows and then we feed. Obviously, the calves are still being cared for. They're just being cared for separately. And they, ironically, they believe that we take the cows, the calves away from their mothers and kill them when they don't understand that, you know, those calves are the future of our farm, that they have to receive the best care possible and that, you know, taking care of them is ultimately going to continue our farm. And so that's one thing that they really go after. They think that calves and cows should be able to um, live together. Why why can't they? What's the problem with that? Well... There's a lot of different things that go into the decision to, to separate, and the main one being safety. Mm. You know, a lot of farms, we're set up to milk cows twice a day. So, for example, we have 200 cows. We're going to get those 200 cows up in the morning. So we would have to go in there and separate 200 calves from 200 cows and then safely do that with whoever the human is doing that, as well as keep those animals safe in the process. In addition, there is... A lot of dairy cows, they just don't make the best mothers. For some reason, they're just not as nurturing as you would think they would be. Um, I think that was one of the biggest shocks to me coming onto the farm is I just, I saw beef cows and calves out in the field just like everybody else. And I just assumed that's how it was. And obviously you need, if you're going to milk dairy cows, they're going to produce more milk than what a calf would need. And obviously it makes sense to separate them so you could 
you know, milk them and then use whatever you need for the calf. And um, I guess the first time on the farm, we had this cow give birth. And I was so excited. Like, I was just like, the whole new process of life is just great. And I just remember sitting there going, okay, she just dropped this calf on the ground. (laughs) And she just walked away. And she just walked away to the feed bunk. Like this calf is still like covered in placenta and she didn't clean it off. She didn't do anything. She just walked away. And so I remember Brandon going and grabbing a towel and getting this calf all cleaned off. And, you know, we're going to take this to the calf barn. And I'm like, okay. And I just couldn't believe that she just walked away. Well, uh, we were still dating then. And as I spent more time on the farm, I started seeing that much more. And, um, so yeah, just removing that calf. And there's times where other cows will try to claim that as theirs. And mm. you just have a lot of concerns of it being stepped on. We've had calves get stepped on if we didn't get it mm. out of the pen quick enough. So there's just a lot of different things. So you actually have to protect them from their yeah, mothers. Yeah, you have to protect them from their mothers. If their mothers decide they don't want to take care of them, you have to protect them from other cows that mm. might step on them being too you know, lovey-dovey on them. And there's just a lot of different reasons. And I think... Honestly, if you put all those reasons aside and you just look at it like, honestly, what what is wrong with somebody else taking care of that calf? Why does why does the cow have to take care of that calf? In society, they want to compare humans to animals all the time, but humans raise other people's babies all the time, and they yeah. do a fabulous job. There's people that can't have children that adopt. There's people that adopt just because they can. They have people that do foster care. All through society, people are taking care of other people's babies or animals, puppies, kittens, you name it. Just because we're taking care of those cows or those calves separately from the cows doesn't mean that they're not well cared for or they're not, that they're not loved. And then on top of it, you've got people who maybe don't understand all of that. Exactly. And want to be, you know, they're opposed to it, which, okay, fine. But then they get nasty to you about it. I just, I guess for me... There are a lot of things in life that I don't agree with. There are a lot of people that I don't have the same opinions on. And there's some things that I feel very strongly about. But I would never attack that person or wish harm on them just because I disagreed. No matter how serious of the issue I thought it was, there's some very controversial issues out there that I feel very strongly about. But I would never wish harm on somebody. I would Mm. never go and attack them and call them every name under the sun or anything like that. So that's the part I don't really understand, especially another human being. Like how how could you do that to another human over I just don't understand it. I guess I just don't comprehend how they they think that that's okay. Was all that negative energy a big part of why you burned out? Yes. With all of it? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just it just was a combination of doing too much volunteer. I volunteered for a lot of different things. Um, I had volunteer burnout um, and then just not always feeling supported by farmers, constantly being attacked by activists. Um, it just was a combination of everything. Um, I just needed to step back and determine what I was willing to put myself through in order to tell our story, to fight for our way of life and kind of needed a little bit of a refresh. And I feel like I feel like two years was enough. Yeah. Well, because some of that stuff... <laughs> Sounds like it was bullying, it's, like cyberbullying. It is totally bullying. And this is one thing that I myself am trying to figure out. I want to do something about it. I mm. want to figure out what we can do to change this because farmers, and not just farmers, people are being attacked on social media all the time, You depending on what industry they're in. But farmers are, they're just being all these names and all these things that people are saying to them. And you go and you have your post shared in a group with thousands or a hundred thousand people and they're being told to go attack you, to go say things to them. And Facebook is not doing anything about it. You can report their groups. You can report the people. You can do all this as harassment or bullying and they don't do anything. Really? No, they don't do anything. And so, yes, I, wholeheartedly believe that it's harassment. I do believe it's bullying. And I think that something needs to change because these people 
are just telling their story. They're just trying to be open and transparent to people, and they're being just brutalized for it. So what's the future for you and the farm and you and the blog and all this stuff? We are taking it day by day. <laughs> that is my new motto. Yeah. yeah. Um, with the blog, I would like to, I love to write. And I have probably now, I probably have like 100 drafts because even though I'm not publishing things, I'm still writing. <laughs> and so <laughs> I really would like to try to actually, I know last time we talked or maybe even two times ago, I said I really wanted to do this. So I wanted to start publishing those blog posts and I really just need to do it. But I really want to um, start more with videos, doing more videos again mm-hmm. and showing people on online what we're doing day in, day out, just little things here and there. Um, the farm, the farm's going to be just fine. I think we're just going to, we're just going to keep trucking, take it by day by day. And, um, our family is just pulled together and we're just going to, we're going to make it through this and we're going to look back and we're going to be like, we did it. What's next? Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing your story and how this all came to be. Everybody's story is so different, right? It is. Yes with all the unexpected twists and turns and who would have expected someone like yourself who didn't even grow up in farming to be like a widely followed internationally followed blogger on farming like right. if i would have told you that 15 years ago what would you have said i would have laughed at you <laughs> i've been like what what's a blog and farming no yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you for sharing everything. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. This is the Real Food, Real People podcast. These are the stories of the people who grow your food. What I love about Krista is that she doesn't want to sugarcoat anything like she said. She just wants to tell the full story and let the chips fall where they may. I love that. And that's the vibe of this podcast, too. Like, let's just let's just hear people out and actually listen. Maybe, maybe that's part of the whole thing with, with this podcast for me is, is not telling people anything, but me, and, and that's how I do the episodes. It's just me listening. You know, obviously I ask a lot of questions because I want to know, but then just listening and finding out what, where people are really coming from and what their real heart is behind the food that they produce. Thank you for supporting Real Food, Real People podcast by subscribing and by checking out our website, um, by following us on Facebook and on Instagram and on Twitter. Uh, We really appreciate your support, and we've got a lot more still to come, so stay with us Um, next week. Well, I haven't, I don't know if I'm quite ready to uh, spill the beans on next week's episode, but we're working on it. We're putting it together, um, and in due time, pass that info along to you. Thank you so much for for connecting with us this week and subscribing. The Real Food, Real People podcast is sponsored in part by Save Family Farming, giving a voice to Washington's farm families. Find them online at savefamilyfarming.org and by Dairy Farmers of Washington, supporting Washington dairy farmers, connecting consumers to agriculture, and inspiring the desire for local dairy. Find out more at wadairy.org.